welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the very first interview episode of the More Than Mom podcast. I am so insanely excited to bring this to you guys today because, honestly, this is what I have been looking forward to. This is what it's been all about. Now, before I jump into what's to come in this episode, I do want to say thank you to everyone for the love and support that you guys have shown me since releasing my podcast last week in the introduction episode, and it truly has been a whirlwind of a week. That day that I released it was crazy. I interviewed someone who is so near and dear to my heart. And when she shared my story and my mission behind this and when she shared shared who I was, man, a lot of you guys jumped on board. And I just want to say thank you. Truly. We ended up hanging out all day long. We had an absolute blast with each other. And, uh, you know, as two moms out on the town with, with no kids, <laughs> it was a pretty special day <laughs> that I will remember for a very, very long time. And so I, first of all, just want to say thank you. You guys have been amazing. So many of you guys have shared it. And and honestly, the best part is, is that I haven't even given you guys anything yet. And that's amazing. The first episode, that introduction episode was tough because the whole time, you know, what this, what this podcast has always been about for me as I've been working on it is shining the light on other people's stories. I want to, I want to share with the world these stories and these circumstances that I Honestly, I can't share with you otherwise because I haven't lived them, but I can bring these incredible people on and share them through their stories and through their testimonies. And I'm learning from all of them and you're going to learn from all of them. And that's so exciting to me. It's never, ever been about me. So that first introduction episode when I had to talk for 40 minutes, holy cow, y'all, I'm glad that's done. I don't know if you'll ever hear me talk for 40 minutes again. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. But I actually, I received some real amazing love from that episode, which is awesome. Thank you guys. And I also received a little bit of constructive feedback that one of the pieces of it I really think is important. And because it's so important, I do want to share it real quick uh, and just kind of give you guys a shout out who deserve a shout out. So on that episode, I talked about, if you guys haven't listened to it yet, you can go back, you can listen to the introduction episode. It just kind of lays it out for, for what's to come on this podcast and what you can expect. But one of the things I talked about is just how women are so superhuman, man. We are, we are our own class of superheroes. And the main point I made, the very first point I made when I jumped into that is the fact that we can, can grow and give life to humans. That it's our, you know, that's, that's something that only we can do. And It was brought to my attention. I have some near and dear people to my life, some of the closest people in my entire life who have dealt with infertility. And after I mentioned this idea of pregnancy and birth that we're able to do, I jumped into our brain capacities and just how quickly we're able to think and how in depth we're able to think and how and the speeds at which our brains work. And also how we're able to run and manage households and families and jobs and just find some sort of balance among everything. And the way that we're able to love and empathize with others and how our threshold for love is so much greater than than men's. And how we're able to do all of this, all packed down into one human being. And in the unedited episode, I went on a long tangent about all these different things that make us so incredible and so superhuman. But in an, or, in, a, in an effort to condense it for you guys, so that you guys weren't sitting around listening to me to go on tangents for an hour and a half, I, I narrowed it down to like one to two sentences. And honestly, I don't feel like I did it justice to let you know that if you are one of those women who have dealt with infertility, you are still superhuman. That doesn't disqualify you. Please hear me here. The ability to give life to human beings is one aspect to why we are superheroes. Why we are insane. 
but it is not the whole story. And I just want to make sure that that is clear and that I'm very clear about that. And that I say I'm sorry to you. I am sorry if I made you feel excluded because this is exactly my mission behind this. We will be talking about infertility on here. You better believe it. We will have guests on both medically and anecdotally that can talk about infertility and the journey through that because this is the spot that I want everyone who is a woman and a mother to be able to come and hear their stories told. I want them to feel heard and understood on this platform. I just wanted to take one minute because I felt like that deserved clarification. And it was my bad for cutting out too much of my tangent to not make that clear in the first place. But with that said, I just, again, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all the love and support you guys have shown. And I haven't even given you guys anything yet. And you guys are still sharing it. And you guys are still loving on it. And it's amazing. Today is really where the fun begins. I get to share with you a story that I couldn't otherwise give to you without bringing on an incredible woman into my house. And let me just say, prior to recording this episode, I'd never met her. She went totally out on the limb. She's local here in Nashville. She went out on the limb and drove to a stranger's house to sit on a stranger's couch and talk about her story and and allowed herself to get vulnerable. I mean, really, truly vulnerable, y'all. With a complete stranger so that you guys could hear the important message that she has to tell. Her name is Suha Dabit. Like I said, she's here in Nashville, although she's not originally from here. This is actually English, guys, is her third language. Her third language. You don't talk about feeling inadequate in a room with someone. I was like, um, I'm still figuring out English myself, and it's the only language I speak. It was her third, and she was incredible on the podcast. You almost can't tell she has an accent. It's unbelievable. She has this incredibly unique story of a mother's journey in having a sick child. It's something that I think a lot of you out there will relate to if your child's also been diagnosed with a, with a very serious illness. And she talks about a mother's perspective in this journey, a human perspective in this journey, honestly. And then on the flip side, on the back end, coming out of it, and switching her attention, not entirely, obviously, but enough from caring for her sick child to then pursuing her own passion that was blossomed out of this journey that they, that they went through. She, she has built in the time to create a business that has actually turned into not only a flourishing business, but a nonprofit that is now benefiting people that are going through the same thing that they have since overcome. She's incredible, y'all. Her story is beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's victorious. I will warn you, we talk about some really sensitive things in this episode. I don't know that I would recommend listening to this in the car with your children. We talk about death on this episode. We talk about mourning on this episode. We talk about grief. There's some really, really big topics at hand here. You guys are going to get so much out of this episode, and I know that for a fact because I got so much out of this conversation with Suha. I'm so blessed to be able to call her a friend now. So with no further ado, bring it on, Suha Dabit. So you are Suha Dabit. Yes. <laughs> and you are the founder of World of Broken Hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are a mother, correct? Yes. So tell me just a little bit about who you are, um, what your family life is like, kind of where you're from, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I was born and raised in Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, 15 years ago this month. Uh, well, no, 16 years ago. I met Tommy here in Nashville, actually. Um, after I graduated college, um, it was my dream to come to the States just to visit. And then I, I met Tommy and uh, 
the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> we got married about a year and a half after we met, and um, I've been here almost 15 years. Wow, okay. Yeah. I have two kids, Justin, okay. he's going to turn 14 in a couple of months, and Nadia, she's nine. Okay, cool. So you came to the States after graduating college, is that right? Yeah. So you were already like into adulthood? Yeah. Just... I, I was still pretty young um, in Germany. I feel like you, I, I graduated pretty early. I was 18 when I graduated. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I was still pretty young. Yeah. I got married really young, and I had Justin really young. Um, I was 20. When wow, I yeah, very much so. right so. before my 21st birthday. Yeah. yeah. So what did you study in school? Um, dental hygienist. Okay, so you're kind of going to go that route. Were you going to do that back in Germany or the United States or you weren't really well, sure? Well, I wasn't really sure. I wasn't thinking. You know, you met this amazing guy and you fell in right. love. I fell in love and um, I didn't really think what I was going to do. Okay. <laughs> I just said, whatever, that's... You know, that's what I want to do. My uh, my mom wasn't too happy. She loved Tommy, but she wasn't too happy about me moving across the, the globe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, that's amazing. So, what, um, is your husband from here originally? Is he, like... Yeah, so both of our ethnicity is Palestinian. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Crazy. And, um, but he was born and raised in, in the States, so he's Arab-American, more so American than arab yeah. So you speak? Are you you speak three languages? Yes, is that I do. Right? Mm -hmm. And you're sitting here with like what sounds to be almost no accent. And really, it's like your third language, which is crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's amazing. I worked really hard on it. <laughs> yeah, I just had the other day somebody tell me, "This is so crazy. Your accent sounds so crazy. You have like a little bit of southern and and then just the weird German and the weird Arabic." Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So do you uh, teach different languages to your kids? I speak to them in Arabic. Okay. Like within your household, that's the yes. main language. Mm -hmm. Okay. And just because this is how I grew up, my mom only spoke to us in Arabic. Right. Um, so we would grow up speaking the language and understanding the language, but they do not like to speak it. They understand. They yeah. don't like to speak it. They make fun of me. Uh, and when I speak German, it's like stop. Nobody knows what mom's talking about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do not even want to hear anything about anything it's German. So funny. <laughs> yeah. So, what was it like then? You know, I actually have a cousin who um, lives in Germany full-time, is raising a son in Germany, and I just saw him a few weeks ago, and it sounds like the, the childhood culture over there is different mm -hmm. than it is here. What, is that, what has that been like for you to switch over here, first of all, integrate yourself into the culture, but then also be raising up kids yeah. in this American culture? Yeah, it's, it's completely different. Um, just <clears throat> the way everything, especially in the South, everybody's really laid back, mm -hmm. but also you know, very involved in their child's life in every aspect. In, right. in Germany, it's more like that's how we grew up and that's how my nephews are growing up. Um, be home by eight, don't go into trouble and, you know, bye-bye. It's -bye. <laughs> right? amazing. Yeah. I want to parent in, Ger in Germany. <laughs> yes. it's. I mean, at the age of, um, when did I, I start at first grade? I was five. So okay. by five and a half, I was walking to school by myself and coming back. Wow, yeah, no, it doesn't happen here anymore. No, you can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And even in Germany, I feel like now they are more cautious. Um, mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with social media and what you read, and you just you just worry all the time. But back in the days, without social media and, and news, you know, telling you bad things every single day, it was I don't know. It, it's it's just a very different lifestyle, right? There. So um, where do you find yourself on the spectrum between like totally laid back like that and the helicopter mom? I, I try to. <sighs> I'm kind of in between. Okay. So I want them to be independent, mm -hmm. but I also am always worried about where they are, what they're doing. Um, right. So I always check in on them and make sure they're okay. But I also try to let them kind of flourish and and you know and be independent. Right. Because your your kids are now at that age where it's like they kind of are spreading their wings yeah. a little bit and they're able to get yeah. out on their own and be with their friends. And yes. you are just kind of saying bye. Okay. Right. Please make good choices. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I try to be, and I have a friend um, who's who's the super helicopter mom, and um, and I am too at some degree, for sure, especially because of Nadia. But um, I always try to t tell her just ease up. It's it's fine. We grew up with you know no supervision most of the time, and we're just fine. Right. So for sure, that's yeah. awesome. So bring me up to speed then um, into the pregnancy and the birth and the diagnosis of your daughter. Yeah. So we found out I was twenty weeks pregnant. Um, I found out that Nadia would be born with a congenital heart defect called hyperplastic right heart syndrome, which basically okay. means she would be born with just a half of a heart, and that she would require a series of three open heart surgeries before the age of three in order to survive. 
um, basically making her half a heart work for her whole body. She was, she was born on May 5th, 2010, perfect from the outside. Um, her insides told a completely different story. Right. Um, and she had her first surgery at age of five, five days old. Right. And uh, her second surgery, she was seven months. And her third surgery, it was uh, right after her second birthday. Wow. Yeah. So what is that like then as a mom? I feel like as a parent, the second you get pregnant, all you're wishing for is a healthy baby, right? Right. And I think as much as we know the possibilities of something going wrong, we never ever expect it um, to happen to us, right? No, yeah, it's, you sort of grieve this life you have envisioned for your child. Mm. So after her third open heart surgery, we were told that we were done and to go home and live our lives. Um, we also well, always knew that she would have continuous care, medi uh, medicines, and see the cardiologist regularly. But just 12 weeks after her last open heart surgery, she went into heart failure. Oh. <clears throat> for no Like at home reasons. with you guys? Well, we went to her pediatrician for her two-year checkup. And um, I, I also I always had this I had this feeling that something wasn't right, even though the cardiologist just told me six weeks prior, she is doing great. You know, the surgery was a success. Go home, live your life. She's fine. But something just didn't add up. She, her lips were still blue and purple, and, and um, I feel like she had water retention. But we went to the pediatrician for her two-year checkup, and I uh, looked at her pediatrician after he checked her out. I was just going to see what he says, but he listened to her lungs, and he listened to her heart, and he said, She's fine. Um, she's complex, so a, a lower heart rate and a lower oxygen and a little bit higher heart rate was normal for her. Right. So nothing really stood out that she was sick. Um, but I told him, I said, I, I just feel like something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And he, lis he listened to me, thankfully, yeah. and said, you know what? I, from just checking her out, I can't tell. I think she's doing okay, she's doing fine, but just to ease your mind, let's send her back. And, and do like an echocardiogram. So we did, we went back to the hospital, we did an echo, and she came back about 45 minutes later, which is, took way longer than oh, expected. Really? Okay. Yeah, the cardiologist, and she, um, with tears in her eyes, said she's in heart, she's, she's in heart failure. We were um, sent straight back into the PCICU, when Addie had her previous surgeries, and fairly quickly, we were discussing the option of a heart transplant because her heart was just working at what, 16% at the time. And about a week after being admitted, she her health just deteriorated. She's, she's gotten so much worse. And we were given two options. Either we take her home, or we do a never done procedure um, at our hospital. Oh, wow. Um, that would mean implanting a um, artificial heart device that would help her heart pump and bridge the time until transplant. Um, she was maybe at the time the eighth worldwide, um, the eighth case worldwide to get it on a one ventricle heart, and, and maybe like sixtieth case right. uh, on the Berlin Total. heart with a, with yeah on a whole heart. Our, our odds were very slim. We didn't know if she's going to survive it mm -hmm. or not, but she did. She somehow did. Um, against all odds, she survived her surgery and. Um, we waited about five and a half months in the PCICU. She was hooked up to this giant machine. Mm -hmm. You'd see the pump, you know, filled with blood pumping as her heart. And um, she was just this regular sassy toddler <laughs> owning the whole PCICU. Um, yeah, until we received the call. We received the call in uh, February 3rd, 2013. And they found her a whole heart, a perfect match. And that was six years ago so mm -hmm. she's nine now and she's doing really well that's awesome so how when she's born before she has those three like is, has completed those three surgeries are you guys in the hospital the whole time between that or you guys go home each time and come back for a surgery yeah we go home so um when she had her first surgery she had she stayed for about two months because she had okay. she had just a few curveballs it had to it, it took her longer to recover um but we got home and and they sent us home and let her grow and just fatten up um, so she'd be strong for her second surgery. Right. And then the second surgery went really well. With five days, we were home and then sent her home. And it was really hard because, you know, you see this personality flourish and she's just the most the sweetest, sweetest girl in the world. And then you have to hand her back to the surgical team. Right. 
are you guys able to live a, a normal life at all in between those surgeries or is she such like at risk at that point like is she compromised as far as her immune health and stuff it was a new normal for right, us. right it was it was our normal it was maybe abnormal for some, you know somebody else looking into our lives but um we found a new normal and yeah we had to be careful about you know being around sick sick children or sick people or like a large crowd of people this was also the beginning stages of me becoming a germaphobe. I would have Lysol everywhere. Um, and anytime somebody coughs, you know, would cough around my baby, I'd just give them the look. Yeah. <laughs> Don't come near my baby. But yeah, it 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 was it was just all like we were in a bubble at that time. Right. We we were. We I was mostly home and not going anywhere really. I didn't have a social life at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine that. So was transplant on your radar prior to her going into heart failure or was there a possibility that she would be able to survive on this half a heart yeah well no it wasn't my radar at all okay um but but also like to say i was really naive back then too I okay really i knew about her heart defect but i just didn't want to hear about anything else and and just the possibility of a transplant i just didn't want to think about it or right. talk about it a lot of children well most of the children born with a congenital heart defect will need a transplant at some point in their lives. Okay. But the the first three surgeries were done so she could live longer because, of course, you know the heart transplant is the is the last option. Right. I I truly cannot imagine how hard it must be to be sitting in a hospital you know, in, in the pediatric ICU and wanting your daughter to live, right? That's the only thing you want in life at that point, I'm, I'm sure, is that you want her to live. But in order for her to live, it requires another child to lose their life. Yeah. And that has to be such a hard place to come from where you're coming with such purity of wanting your own child's life to be saved, but it requires someone else to lose theirs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's so unique about you know the transplant world is that that I don't think anyone can else ever relate to no it it was the hardest thing for me to accept it and I could never pray for it either I could never right. say you know I, I would pray that whatever God had in store for Nadia that that's it but I could never say please God right you know it, I couldn't even say I'm praying for a new heart because I knew what it would take right. for her to get a new heart, um, and and it was I was struggling with it a lot, knowing that another mother would have to let go of her baby. Yeah, it's crazy. What is your time like in and is it PICU? Is that the term for it? PICU. PCICU. PCICU. The ICU, okay. Yeah. So, what is your time like in that in that place? What um, what do you kind of discover about that community? Gosh, I saw. And heard things that I, I truly don't wish upon anybody. It, it changed me forever. I remember the first month we were there, um, Nadia, when Nadia just had was just admitted in, the, there are curtains in between the rooms, okay. and the curtain was just kind of slightly just you know open, so I could see in the other room, and this baby had just passed away and had no family around, and mm. um, the nurses just went in there and just loved on that baby and dressed him and, and held him and cuddled him until his last breath and families having to let go of them, families, you know, losing their jobs or, or um, struggling financially or just having to leave their kids at home four hours away just to be with... Sorry. No, you're okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, it changed me. Mm -hmm. And how, how long did you spend in that unit? Um, well, the time she waited for her heart transplant, um, five and a half months. Okay. Is, is that the time that you, um, were able to have your family photographed? Yes. So I never thought about, you know, taking pictures while we were there. I actually, it was quite the opposite. I didn't want to have any memories of it at the right. very beginning. Um, I, I don't want to see this. I don't want to remember this, which doing what I'm doing now it's funny yes I wanted I wanted it was around Christmas we were there and uh, we always took family photos Christmas photos and I contacted our family photographer and said hey I know this is you know might not be possible but we really would love to have family photos while we were waiting impatient um, and he, he came 
and uh, took, we spent like an hour and a half, two hours with us and just walked around the hall. She was able to walk around a little bit, about 10 minutes before the battery gave, gave out. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and uh, we, we took some photos, which are the most, our most cherished possessions ever. Right. Yeah, I can imagine like in, in this moment of life that's just pure crisis, right? Like you, are, you guys are in such survival mode with really kind of only one thing as your focus and I can imagine that taking family photos is not even on the radar no but at the same time and I know this is something that you've talked about um, with your organization is that this for some families they don't know if they're going to be able to ever get professional photos taken yeah with, with their complete family mm-hmm. um, because they don't know if they're getting out of the hospital with everyone yeah so talk me through before this you you we're not a photographer. No. Is that right? <laughs> no. So how did this change you? And then where did your passion kind of come from? Well, um, we had, Nadia had a neighbor. Her name was Reagan. And um, she was there for about eight months. She was really, really sick. And she had passed away about two months before Nadia received her heart. And her mom has just cell phone pictures of her. Mm. That's it. And it, it hurt my heart every time her mom posted a photo that was blurry or not. You know, was, I just wanted her to have that same experience we had. And I, I don't know. I mean, I always loved taking photos with, you know, my rebel or with my, but never, I never pursued it. And I just one day said, it was maybe a couple months after we were home, I'd say, gosh, I wish, you know, I wish those families had the same experiences we had. Wouldn't it be nice if like somebody, if I get photographers to ask to go, and take photos of them and it was actually Nadia that was sitting beside my husband and I and she said you can do it mommy <laughs> and I was like oh. I laughed and, and I thought it was the sweetest thing but you know her words really lingered in my head for the next two three days and I said you know what why not let me do this and uh, yeah. and that's how it all started I said I'll I'll try I mean I'm no photographer but I'll try so I picked right. up my camera and I asked this First family to you know this is what I want to do I want to just give back with photographs just so you have photographs and the first I don't know 30 families good gosh the family the pictures are terrible they're blurry right, right. They're I can imagine the place. hospital light is not like oh gosh so hard <laughs> yes it's so hard being a photographer is so hard um, go and hug your photographer because trust me they'll need it yeah um, it, it's so much more than just owning a nice camera Right. You know, you have to know the light and, and how to set your camera settings. And so much more goes into photography. And it took me, it didn't take me very long to realize that uh, in order for me to give back, I'll also have to earn a living by being a photographer. And, and just my passion was driving me and I just wanted to learn everything at once. Yeah. I wanted to learn everything, every aspect of photography. Yeah, it just, it flourished into a business. Um, and I was supporting World of Broken Hearts through my business for the first four years. Oh, wow. Um, and um, it wasn't until I, I have a lot of supporters and a lot of um, really great families and, and friends and family that pushed me to, to turn it into a nonprofit because I was struggling, you know, doing profiting in my business and then also running a nonprofit. Right. Um, so as of December of 2018, it became an official nonprofit, 501c3, yeah. and um, it, it's been going well so far. So I, um, in the middle of all of this, of course, my very first focus was to give back to families right. and photographs because some children, they never leave the hospital, and these images are the only thing they have left of their mm-hmm. babies. But then I, I realized that gosh, I could do so much more with this. I can spread awareness. I can spread CHD awareness mm-hmm. and organ donation awareness because it's nearly non-existent. Um, I meet people every single day when I tell them about Nadia that have never heard of congenital heart defects, which is insane because one in 100 babies are born with it. Which is, when I read that on your site, one in 100, I'm like, wow, there's actually, that's a decent chance that one of my kids will have it. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, it's that's insane. insane. It is. It, it's crazy, and I've never heard of it before. Right. Nadia, I've never, I've, the most I've heard about it was a hole in the heart. I actually right. had a girl, her name was Katie, before I had Nadia, that was born with, with uh, VSD. And she had it repaired, and she's doing great, and never right. had surgery before. But when they told me, oh, your daughter will be born with a half of a heart, what? 
Yeah, how is that, is that even, right? Is that even possible? How is that? Yeah, how's that possible? Because um, um, I can think. I went to school with a kid when I was in elementary school. I remember he had a hole in his heart. Um, and then as an adult, I have a friend, um, an acquaintance that I grew up with who had a daughter that had was born with CHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was around two when she ended up passing away from complications with it. Um, but other than those two scenarios, that's all I've ever heard about. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens so often with things that are this serious and this heartbreaking and just things that just reach so deep down into your soul like this is that if you're not if it's not applying to you you do your best to avoid it mm-hmm. right I mean that's like we don't want to feel that pain we right. as a parent we cannot imagine that pain right and I, I actually was thinking about this your your pictures I was going through some of your pictures last night and my husband came home from work it was probably like 11 p.m. And he came home to me literally sobbing in the kitchen. I am not the person that shows emotion. He's like, what is wrong? And it was the, and I actually don't know if you photographed the pictures or if it was something that you shared, but it was, um, oh, and I had, uh, I had the name of the little girl and I'm spacing on it right now. Addie. Addie. Adeline? Is yeah, that what it Adeline. Is? Did you photograph mm-hmm. her? So for anyone listening right now, the, the pictures are of Adeline, who's I'm guessing around two, who passed away, mm-hmm. and you're photographing her family's last moments with her. Is that correct? Yeah. And it wasn't... I mean, I saw the parents holding her and the pain in their face, and that was beautiful and horrific at the same time, right, as a mom. But what what made my tears just... un I was uncontrollably sobbing to the point when, when he asked me what was wrong, I couldn't get the words out because I couldn't even say it. Was what was seeing the fi- the pictures of her four or five year old brother and the grief on his face, looks having to say goodbye to his sister and it was just you know I have a son who's right about four and I oh and I have a daughter who's younger than him and it was just it hit home in such a way that it was like I can see how this is affecting his, I mean he's so innocent right mm-hmm. he's four or five years old so innocent. I think we often as parents think about how this affects us because a parent's worst fear is losing their child. Mm -hmm. But to actually see what you were able to capture on camera of that brother's last moments with his sister, I I really, like, I couldn't function. I couldn't function. It was, there was so much beauty in it, but there was so much pain and it was so raw. And I think one of the things that you are doing is that you're making people face this, first of all, who aren't involved. Mm -hmm. You're making people say, this is a real thing that people go through. It can't be avoided. You can't just pretend like it's not happening. This is real. It is painful. And this is CHD. And this is CHD. Exactly. And I think the other thing that you're doing, which is, it's kind of funny that you, you became a photographer not knowing what you were doing, and then you took on the hardest thing I can imagine photographing, which is like you're adding a component of bad lights because you're doing inside shooting that you're not setting up like a studio for. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with children, which everyone knows is like the hardest thing to photograph. And then you have to throw in the obstacle of wires and tubing and medical devices. And I think what can often happen, again, as a... As a um, defense mechanism and a separator for us is that when we see kids all hooked up like that we can almost dehumanize it Mm -hmm. we can almost you know I don't put that kid having my son's personality and my son's uh feelings and and laughter and and joyousness and even like thought capacity and all that stuff like this is this is my son in another per in another person's son's body Mm -hmm going through this and I think sometimes we can at least I can I can kind of look at that and not want to put a personality to it and not want to put real a real human in there because it's so painful mm-hmm. to it's imagine hard. it's hard to deal with yeah. and you are doing that through photography and I think it's amazing looking through your photos you can see the personalities come out of these kids and it's incredible so I mean what have you found working with these families and 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 you know how has it been 
being able to provide these images for them, being able to capture their kids. Um, I just, I really, I can't imagine how much of a blessing it must be for them. It is such a blessing. It's, um, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't do it and then come so far without the sweet families that I photograph and they invite me into the most vulnerable times in their lives um, to capture these memories, but they also let me share them and tell their story and help spread awareness and organ donation awareness. Mm -hmm. Addie, for example, she wasn't the first that I've captured um, during, you know, goodbyes, but, and, and I didn't think they're going to share it, but she wanted to share it. She wanted others to know that this is CHD, that, that this is what their life is like. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm so thankful she did. Um, I do give families the option of keeping the images private, just because I understand. I've been in. Right. I've been in their shoes. It's not for everybody. Um, not everyone wants their their baby's photos on the internet, and I get that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those families, they you know, once they learn about what I do and why I do it, and that I have a CHD baby myself, and and what my goal is for World of Broken Hearts, they immediately jump on board and say, "I want to help you. Yeah. I, want, I want to spread awareness, and I want to be that voice." It's incredible how many people came to me and said, I never knew about well, about CHDs, but, but your pictures and your stories made me want to know more. Yeah. And then they're informed, you know? Because um, Ad Addie has got picked up by, like, people or something? Like, she, yes, she went people, huge. Good Morning America. Wow. Um, yes, it went worldwide. It went all the way to Germany and Italy and Spain and... Um, that had to be crazy to see yeah. exactly what you wanted it to do, right? I mean... Right. It, it's you, hard it's, because it's, it's such a twofold. sad story. Right. We right. want to provide this for the families and right. bring some sort of comfort to them. Mm -hmm. But then you also want to spread awareness, and there's no better way to do that than having something, some of your images go so viral yeah. and so global. Mm -hmm. And she's absolutely the biggest story I've had so far. Mm -hmm. um, it just spread like wildfire. And, and at the same time, it made me just... I was so proud of the work I was able to do in spreading awareness, but then I was like, gosh, this is also so sad at the same right. time. Um, because there are a lot of really good stories out there too. Nadia is one of them. She's a success story. Right. Um, yep. But I, I want more success stories than sad stories. Um, so I, I try to, I'm working actually right now on kind of mixing both together so new families can come to my page and not leave depressed. Right. right. Um, you know, right. I, I want them, I want to provide all perspectives, not just from families, but also from the children them, themselves when they're older adults mm -hmm. living with CHDs or doctors and nurses and surgeons and aunts and uncles and grandfathers and grandmothers. You know, everybody has their side of their story of, of what it's like to see their loved one go through CHD and surgeries. And, and yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. So for others to be able to connect and, and know what it's like and, and become more involved because CHD awareness will lead to CHD research fundings and, right. and this will save children like Nadia. Actually CHD research funding did save Nadia because you know of advanced of technology. The, the, right, the little artificial heart. heart that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So what is next for World of Broken Hearts? What do you want where do you want to take this? What are your goals? Like what do you see in the future for, for your organization? Um, I, I want World of Broken Hearts to become a legacy brand so when I pass away one day it can continue and, and spread awareness um, my ultimate goal in the very future would be that I, I wouldn't be the only photographer doing this I want photographers all over the US to be involved and say this is this is amazing we're spreading awareness I want to help yeah and of course all of what I'm doing goes hand in hand with CHD research fundings because that's what will really change the lives of our babies. That's amazing. So how can people help then? How can people help World of Broken Hearts? How can people help with CHD? It's really simple. I ask families to share the stories, to tell their friends and neighbors and coworkers about what they just read and, mm -hmm. and um, that there are babies out there that are born with, with heart defects. It's really sim as simple as that. Share and, and just help me spread awareness. Become their voice. Become the voice of the voiceless because right. it's us that, you know, become the voices of the children that cannot speak for themselves yet. Right. Yeah, it's really as simple as that.
Yeah, that's amazing. I, I can honestly, I can totally see it. And I, I think, you know, it's such a blessing that you happen to be already living in the city that has such an incredible yes. healthcare system, right? With Vanderbilt and their children's hospital. Mm-hmm. And how cool. I can totally see it with you, the vision of, of having people in cities all over America that have huge healthcare hubs able to donate their time and their, their work and their photography and mm-hmm. uh, be able to provide that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And, and honestly, even just more in the city too. Yeah. Uh, which I'm sure is probably where it starts, right? Is, right. Is growing it big enough in Nashville that other cities start to take notice. Right. I, I'm actually trying to spread my wings and, and of course I'm totally biased when it comes to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Uh, they saved my daughter more than once. Um, yeah. But I, w- I want to be able to kind of spread my wings and, and go to other hospitals and, you know, talk about what they're doing and how they're helping CHD and then and then uh, photograph the families, mm-hmm. you know, in and, and other hospitals. So more families. Yeah. Is it, as far as reaching out to these families, is it is CHD community, is it, um, pr- is it pretty word of mouth? Do yeah. talk a lot? It's all know? word of mouth. Okay. I think just because of HIPAA, Vanderbilt can't really get involved, right? Uh, which yep. I completely understand. So it's more families telling other families, and then there's a, a Facebook group. It's called Nashville Heart Parent Page. Um, okay. So I, I try to make um, once or twice a month a trip down there, and I say, "Hey, I'm coming down. I'm, I'm able to see eight to ten families, and um, whoever contacts me, I ask them, hey, tell your neighbor about me if they yeah, want me to come yeah. by.' But yeah, it's really just all word of mouth. That's amazing. And can you talk about how organ donation plays a role in all this? It's obviously a pretty significant one. Yes. Well, like I said earlier, all CHD children will eventually have to have a heart transplant if they're lucky enough to be eligible for one and to be able to wait for one. Mm-hmm. It saved my daughter's life. You know, she had, she's able to, to live a uh, near-to-normal life now. Yes, she has the scar and she takes medicine twice a day and she has to have blood work every three months and checkups every six months and restrictions. Um, right. But she is able to live her life now without being in the hospital and, and uh, feeling sick all the time. So it's, it's amazing. That's, that is amazing. And you spoke about the importance of success stories, so let's talk about this for a minute. Could you have ever imagined the life that Nadia lives now when you got that diagnosis at 20 weeks pregnant, that she's gonna have half a heart? No, I actually, we actually were given the option of terminating the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I, um, you have to think this was 10 years ago, so my English was a whole lot worse than mm-hmm. it is now. <laughs> and um, I, I completely just trusted what the doctor just told me, and I said, oh my gosh, we have to terminate. And um, we were given this option, we went home that day, and I was just crying, I was a mess, and I was telling Tommy, I just don't feel, it doesn't feel right to terminate this baby and um, it wasn't until I called my brother-in-law and he said you know Saha if you had a healthy child and later down the road your child um, is diagnosed with cancer are you going to take matters into your own hands and end the life of your child and I said no and you know just bawling and I said right. of course not and, and I'm even embarrassed to even think about that I considered it for a moment but I also learned later on that doctors have to give you this option right. of terminating your pregnancy and each their own. Um, but these children are amazing. And, and I, I would have never imagined she would live this life that she lives right now. I thought, I'm going to have this baby and it's going to end in my mind that she's not going to be able to do any of it. Because I right. was told, you know, heart babies, and, and a lot of heart babies do, are you know, developing motor skills later in life, don't, don't speak, don't eat, don't walk until later in life. Um, and that is true, and that is true for a lot of CHD babies, but not all of them. Right. Um, it just, it just, that's just another section of where we need to do more research, you know, in feeding right. therapies and lungs and, and kidneys, kidney issues and feedings and, you know, speech therapy and uh, motor skills development and so on. I mean, there's so many aspects of CHD that still are <clears throat> in the very early beginning of, of their skills and, and what they need to learn and yeah. um, how much they can do. So your daughter's nine, is that right? Yes. What kind of things is she into? What does she love to do? She's, she's, um, she loves to read. She struggled a lot with reading. So okay. we, uh, we put her in a program and she picked up and now she loves to read. She actually 
reads chapter books now, which I'm so proud of her. That's amazing. Um, yes, because she, she worked really hard on that. And uh, she loves her dog, Andy. <laughs> and we just got her in December um, after I said never, ever a dog. <laughs> uh, but she won. So and, um, she did swimming. She um, did gymnastics. She wants to start. She did basketball. She wants wow. to start um, dance classes now. Um, she loves to dance. She loves to sing. She loves telling jokes. She's, she's just this huge, she has this huge personality and just, she's full of life and um, yeah. it's just so much fun to be around. That's amazing. That is so yeah. cool. And and with your son too, does he have memories from this time in the hospital or is is, is it pretty distant for him? He does. Okay. Um, we, we think they don't. He was six at the time when she was admitted okay. um, for her heart, you know, for being in a heart failure, but he was about four and a half when she was born. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until she was admitted and he realized, wow, mom and dad are not coming home. Yeah. Um, so we made it kind of a priority to, you know, switch up. We one of us was always at the house, at the hospital, okay. and one and then one of us was at night tucking him in, just so he will have us for a little bit, and then we would mm-hmm. do like every two weeks, like a mommy and son date or daddy and son day you know just right. you know taking him somewhere and spending the day with him but he he did really well um just kind of coping with all of this very aware of nadia's condition and, and what she went through but he's at that age now you know little sister's annoying <laughs> yeah despite her heart that doesn't change um, right that yeah. no so so um, it'd be interesting to see his side of the story once he is a little bit older yeah because right now it's like you know right but yeah it'll be interesting to see what he has to say in about awesome, three four five years that's a that's incredible it's just it's crazy to look back on, on your whole journey and to really see that on the other side of it you guys more or less I mean other than some medication and, and more regular checkups and that kind of thing you guys are able to function as a completely what society would say normal family yeah we, we tried um we had the advantage of not living too far from the hospital, right. um, about 45 minutes, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, versus other families, they, they drive three, right. four, or five hours and have to stay at, at you know, around a McDonald's home. Um, but yeah, we tried our best to keep it as normal as possible, but with that said, it still uh, took a toll on us. Absolutely. And, and we talked about this before uh, we sat down to record. It just it always brings me back to remembering that I don't know what's happening in the lives of the mothers that I see day in and day out around me when I'm going through my life. And I know a lot of times we can kind of catch a mom maybe in a in a not as beautiful moment and we're we can sit there and so easily cast judgment on her mothering or on her personality or who she is or um, how well she's handling her life and to think that we never know what's going on in yes. the other aspects of her life. She could have a, a daughter or a son sitting in the, in the PICU right now and, and, and waiting for a transplant and not knowing if her kid's going to live. You just never know. Mm-hmm. It, I was actually in that situation where really? if, uh, if you get to know me a little bit more, I'm very laid back and I don't uh-huh. like confrontation. I don't like to be you know, mean towards others, but I was. I was snapping or just being downright right. rude or just letting someone have it and actually actually about what four years ago I went back and apologized to every single one of them <laughs> it's like sorry. going to AA and making your <laughs> amends oh, I'm sorry amazing. I know I wasn't nice I know I said things that were hurtful mm-hmm. and I, I did not have to do that and and it, it's a constant reminder for me because I've been this person right to dish out when they didn't deserve it, they didn't know what I was going through. Right. That um, I'm, I'm very careful when someone is hateful towards me or rude towards me, I'll give back with love and, and compassion and kindness and understanding to, of course, to a degree until I turn my head around and just walk away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you, you have to think of others. We, um, as mothers, just forget that I, what I went through even just being a mom with healthy children, it's so hard being a mom. Yes, yeah. So hard being a mom, so hard being a wife, and just kind of managing all of that, it's, it can get really frustrating. Right, yeah, I've never had a kid on a, trans, a transplant list, but I can tell you for sure that I've been that mom out in public that is maybe getting a little bit too snappy, a little bit too quick. So I think it happens to all of us for sure. I think so too, yeah. 
but some of our reasons might be a little deeper than others, but, uh, you know, I'd get just as stressed out as anybody. So. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? I have a website, worldofbrokenhearts.org, Instagram as well, worldofbrokenhearts.org. Um, it's uh, shortened W O H. God, good, ha- good heavens. W-O-V-H. <laughs> yes, W-O-V-H. <laughs> Cut that out. And, um, and then Instagram. Um, Facebook, of course. World of Open okay. as well, which is probably my most interactive okay. page. Cool. Yeah. Very great. And my last question I always ask any mom I get on the podcast, what has the journey of motherhood meant to you? Motherhood is so rewarding. It, it sometimes gets really frustrating and... Um, you will find yourself crying and in tears and, and not showered for four days <laughs> and <laughs> uh, walking around uh, in, in jogging pants and not having your hair done. And But at the end of the day, it, it's so worth it. Our babies are so worth it. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on. <laughs> Thank you for uh, having me. Thank you for coming over to my home today and being willing to, to walk into a stranger's door and sit down and, ha- and run a podcast episode. My husband actually said, where are you going? I said, to MJ's house. <laughs> said, First name no. basis. Yes. <laughs> yes. I made it. He said, so you know No. <laughs> We're in the same Facebook group. It's fine. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Well, I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm really excited to be able to share your story and to get it out in the world and, and more CHG awareness. I think it's been really powerful and I'm excited to see what you do in the future too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.